Over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at some amazing stories from the Old Testament book of Numbers. These are stories in which the people of God learned to count on God. They had to count on Him to protect them. They had to count on God to provide for them. They had to count on God to guide them when they had no idea where they were going. And these are stories about miracles, too. These are stories about a pillar of fire that stretched to the sky and miraculous food that fell from heaven. These are stories about fiery serpents and rebellious spies, a talking donkey, and the ground opening up and swallowing people who rebelled against God. You're not going to want to miss a single message in this series, because these are stories that teach us how to count on God, too. Yeah, what he said. Anyway, um, we're starting a new series out of the book of Numbers. It's an, uh, and there's some amazing stories that I just mentioned. We emailed that little uh, uh, invita- introduction out to everybody the other day, but wanted you to hear it again because over the next six weeks, we got some exciting messages here from an Old Testament book that doesn't get that much play. Uh, it kind of gets skipped over for some reason. Now, it's called the book of Numbers because there's a census taken at the beginning of the book and another one taken at the end of the book. And somewhere along the line, since the people were numbered at the beginning of the end, it was called the book of Numbers. That's where that title comes from. But in between, there are all these amazing accounts that teach us how to depend on God, how to count on Him. And today, we're going to start out with that pillar of fire that I mentioned and the pillar of cloud and how people received guidance. And I want to remind us of three things that stand out very clearly when we talk about the cloud, the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire. First of all, God wants to guide us. Secondly, God wants us to know his will. And thirdly, God wants what's best for us more than we do. If those three things are good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. They are all true. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why when we look at these Old Testament stories and they remind us of truths that are still in play for us right now, we can leave greatly encouraged. You will today after we talk about the cloud, the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you that we can count on you to guide us. Father, there are so many things in our lives that we don't understand. There are so many decisions we have to make, and we don't have the wisdom within ourselves. We need your guidance. And so today, Lord, I pray that you will remind us of some of the things that you teach very clearly in your word, and that we leave here encouraged and more ready to call on you than we ever have been before. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Please move me out of the way, Lord, and say whatever you once said to us. In the name of Christ, amen. So inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm going today. We call this Counting on God's Guidance. We chose this story first out of all the stories and numbers uh, because there are a lot of people graduating right now. And some people, when they graduate, they go off to college. Some people go in the military. Some people get a job. Who knows? And you talk to a lot of high school graduates and go, hey, what do you want to do with your life? They go, yeah, I don't, I don't know yet. Some of them go off to college and four years later they graduate again. Hey, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. Some of them 10 years later when they're 33, you go, hey, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah, I, I don't know that. Okay, because the truth is there's no time in our life when we ever get everything settled uh, where we go, I know exactly what's going on. Or if we do, you better enjoy that 30 minutes. Okay, that's about how long it lasts. We need God's guidance. And the good news is, point one on your outline, God wants to guide us. Could we say that together, please? God wants to guide us. 
over and over again, the, the problem in Scripture is not that God isn't willing to guide us. The question is, are we willing to ask for guidance? And are we willing to listen when he gives it? So we're going to look at how he guided people in the Old Testament and talk about how he guides us today. Point A, God guided the Israelites through the wilderness. Now, the book of Numbers is part of the first, there's a package of five books at the beginning of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. And Numbers is the fourth one in there right before Deuteronomy. And in uh, Genesis and Exodus, God has created a people for himself from the descendants of Abraham. They were in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. God rescued them through a series of miraculous uh, plagues that were sent upon the Egyptians. And finally, the Egyptians sent them off with all their wealth and goods. And the Israelites headed from Egypt to the promised land. Well, in the book of Numbers is where we find out what happened during that journey. The census was taken at the beginning of the journey and another one at the end. Sadly, the journey took 40 years, and we'll explain why it took so long. It was because people weren't willing to trust God's guidance. But today, we're talking about how they started out, and they started out great because they were willing to follow God's guidance. And God guided them through the wilderness by means of a miraculous cloud. Okay? Let me read a little bit, and I'll explain a little more. On the day the tabernacle, that was a portable temple, was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning... The cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. Now, this was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, well, the people would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command wherever he told them to go. Find out a little bit more in Exodus 13. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. And this allowed them to travel by day or by night before there were any electrical lights. I mean, this is really a, something unheard of. These were millions of people, several million people, plus flocks and herds. And they were all able to move at night because they had a giant pillar of fire. I mean, to help you understand, I'll visualize this a little bit better, could you guys put up that picture? This is an artist's conception of what it might have looked like to have a pillar of fire over the camp in Israel. Um, but what it was is it was the tabernacle was the, uh, right in the middle of the camp, they would set up this portable temple. Inside the temple was a place where the priests would come and offer prayers on behalf of the people outside in the courtyard that's fenced off there. They would offer sacrifices. And then in the farthest section inside that tent, there was a a room called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies. And that's where a uh, special chest, a sacred chest, the Ark of the Covenant, had God had instructed them to build it. And inside of it, they placed the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them that Moses had received at the top of Mount Sinai. Directly over that chest in the Holy of Holies is where the cloud would hover. And it represented, the cloud represented God's presence. This was God's covenant with the people and Moses was God's man to lead them, and the tabernacle was a place where they would meet. And this was all at the center of the camp. Every time they set up camp, there were 12 tribes. Three would camp to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. It was all sectioned off. But God said, I'm going to be right in the middle of you, and you'll know where I am because that cloud represents me. That's the note here. The pillar of cloud or fire was a theophany. That's a $10 seminary word. You get it for free here bargain day, okay? A theophany, a visible manifestation of God. Uh, similar when uh, Moses had first been called by God, he spoke to him from a burning bush that burned and burned, never burned up, and God spoke to him from the bush. That was a theophany. 
an appearance of God. God was speaking from a burning bush. In Genesis, Abraham had three mysterious visitors that showed up one day, told him he would have a son named Isaac, and told him that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, a theophany of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit meeting with Abraham. The glory of the Lord filled the temple when Solomon set it up. When there was a physical manifestation, people could see God's presence was there. And for those of us as Christians now, we understand that the ultimate representation of God was when God sent his own son, he became one of us and spoke out loud to the disciples. I mean, this was amazing. And that's why it's such a big deal is made of it in the New Testament. But this cloud would have been an Old Testament representation of God's um, presence and his person guiding them. So God guided the Israelites to the wilderness. They didn't know where to go. There weren't any landmarks. There were, oftentimes there wasn't sufficient water or sufficient grass for their herds. God was guiding them uh, along the right pathway. He knew where to take them. And that brings us to point B. God will guide us too if we're willing to follow him. I mean, they had to follow him. You want to know where to camp? I'll show you. Where the cloud stops, set up camp. If I keep moving, you keep moving. David, this is all throughout the Bible. Here's how David talked about this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. David said, if you want to understand the relationship that God wants to have with us, you've got to think of it like a sheep and shepherd. Shepherds don't meet with the sheep in the morning. Okay, we've got a meeting here this morning, sheep. Here's where we're going to go. You're going to go graze in the south pasture this morning, west pasture in the afternoon. See you all back here at 5. Okay. That's not the way it works. The shepherd leads them, and they follow. They listen to his voice. Proverbs, Solomon, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He'll show you which path to take. He'll lead you. Now, there's a note here that's important here. Following Jesus means having an ongoing personal relationship with him. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Many times... We can mistakenly think that the cloud was just a, uh, an arrow that pointed that way, 300 miles. That's not what it was. Or the cloud was like Google Maps. I love Google Maps. You can type in, when I want to go somewhere on a vacation or to some address I've never been to before, type in the street address, it tells me turn right in 300 feet, turn left in two miles. I mean, I love it. And then there's even that Waze app that's been incorporated here, so if there's traffic, there's a shorter route. Do you want it? Why are you asking? Of course I do, okay? Boom, I'm going there. I love that. But here's the thing about Google Apps, Google Maps. When, I, when I'm done with the map, I turn it off. I don't need it. God's not an app. He's our Heavenly Father. He wants to guide us in ways we weren't intending to go. I mean, he's going to choose what's best for us. We're going to hit that in a second here. But sometimes what's best for us is not the path I would have chosen. I mean, can you imagine if I type in directions to a donut shop on Google, on Google Maps and it goes, you have eaten too much today already. I'm rerouting you to the gym instead. <laughs> I mean, that might be what I need, but that's not what I want. And that's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. When we follow him, he's going to take us into things that are going to stretch us. And we go, Lord, I can't do that. But God knows your capabilities better than you do. Sometimes he believes in us a lot more than we believe in ourselves. True? Now look, if I was talking to a bunch of high school kids, we'd all go, hey, high school kids need to hear that. 
Well, college kids need to hear that. Do you know that grandparents need to hear that too? We all need to hear that. There's other times we need to stay away from stuff. We go, I can handle it. And Lord's going, you're not near as strong as you think you are, cowboy or cowgirl. John 10, 27. Now, with that in mind, listen to this now. This is Jesus talking about his disciples. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Well, where is God trying to take us? Where he is. I mean, that was the whole thing. Well, where do we set up camp? Wherever the cloud is, when it stops, we set up the tabernacle there, and then everybody camps around it. That's how God gave him direction. We're going to talk about how God gives us direction in just a minute. He's still doing it, and he'll guide us too. Point C, God will guide us if we're willing to wait on his timing. Not only did they get direction, they also got a pace. Here's the way it worked in Numbers. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days, as the Lord commanded. Then at the Lord's command, they'd break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in the camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. Now look, they had to depend on him. There would have been days perfect for traveling. How come we're not traveling? I don't know. God knew. In fact, in Exodus, we find out that he took them precisely to the edge of the Red Sea where they thought they were all trapped when Pharaoh had a change of heart and he brought all his chariots chasing after him. But God parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry ground. And when Pharaoh chased after him, the walls of water closed in on them and drowned the whole army. So they'd never have to worry about Pharaoh chasing them again. God had a plan they didn't know. And his timing was perfect. God has the same thing for you and me. There are things we're waiting on. We're going, God, what are you waiting on? Well, if I explained it to you, you wouldn't believe it. But I'm not only working in your life, I'm working in a whole bunch of other people's lives too. And I'm bringing you all together because I have a marvelous plan for you. But we have to trust him. We have to trust our shepherd. Psalm 37, verses 7 and 34. These are two of the verses. You could read the whole psalm later, but here are two that stand out about this. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Put your hope in the Lord and travel steadily along his path. Oh, man. If I'm talking to graduating seniors, you'd go, yeah, you guys need to hear that. Wait on the Lord. Don't rush so much. Because as I've gone through my life, I have seen that God's timing is not always the same as mine. Can anybody else give me an amen on that? Oh, yeah. That was very enthusiastic. Okay, but anyway, it's true. God's timing is so different from ours. And we learn to wait on him and not rush ahead. Or other times when it's open to seize the moment, oh, my goodness, life would be so much easier. Well, that's what they had to do with the cloud. I mean, sometimes when they were camped at a place, they'd be there only overnight. I mean, you saw that picture. There's several million people setting up camp. It would be a huge job. They just finally got it all set up. Eight hours later, they're moving again. What? Moses, what gives? Uh, the cloud moved. There'd be other times they'd be there for a year, and everybody's out there going, how come the cloud's not moving? I don't know. God moves, we move. What if we lived like that? What if we prayed for direction, 
waited on God's timing and said, you know, whatever happens, his way is going to be better than mine. Brings us to point two. God wants, God will give us direction. Here's point two. God wants us to know his will. I mean, that was the reason he did the whole pillar of cloud, pillar of fire thing to lead them. He wants his people to know his will. God wants us to know his will. Can we say that together as well? God wants us to know his will. True in the Old Testament, true in the New. Here's how it happened with Moses and the children of Israel in Numbers. God spoke to Moses out loud inside that tabernacle and revealed his will. Whenever Moses went into the tabernacle to speak to the Lord, he heard the Lord's voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the ark of the covenant. The Lord spoke to him from there. That sacred chest, the ark, had a special lid on top of it with two angels that had wings facing each other, and the wings almost touched on the top of the cover. And the Lord told Moses, when you walk into the most holy place and you're going to talk to me, face the ark and look to the middle where the wings almost touch. I'll speak to you from there. Directly above that, hundreds of feet into the sky, was the pillar of cloud. My presence will be here. I'll tell you what to do. Moses, when I give you instructions, you go tell the people. That's why in Psalm 99 we find these words, Moses and Aaron, Moses' brother, were among his priests. They cried to the Lord for help, and he answered them. He spoke to Israel from the pillar of cloud, and they followed the laws and decrees that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. I've had people come in and talk to me before, and they go, they've even heard, read this in the Bible, and they go, why doesn't God do that today? Why doesn't he just give us a physical manifestation of his presence, and why doesn't he speak out loud to us? I mean, I like that. I go, well, you got something better than that. Here's the note here. Through the Holy Spirit, we have a much better access to God than Moses did. Now, understand this. This is something that gets overlooked all the time, what happens through a personal relationship with Jesus. When I come to Christ and I surrender my life to him, I mean, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for all my sins. So I come to him, confess my sins. My sins are washed away. I walk boldly into the throne room of heaven itself and say, God, I want you to guide me. Well, the Bible, Jesus said, in the Bible, Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. He told the disciples, he's been with you, but soon he will be in you. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the tabernacle? You could put that word as tabernacle there, same thing. The temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Moses had to go into the tent. Other people couldn't go into the tent. If they would have, God would have stricken, would have stricken them dead. Moses was the only one, and he had to go out and tell the people. Through Christ, all of us can go into the tent. But the truth is, we don't even have to go to a certain place. God has come to live within us. This is the great promise of the Holy Spirit, that he'll guide us. I mean, don't miss the symbolism that was happening here in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers meeting together in one place, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty, of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we're the tabernacle, the pillar of fire was on top of each one of them. I mean, don't miss it. The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. With the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in the center of my life. You and I, we are tabernacles. 
That's why we can approach God 24-7. All of us can go in because of what Jesus did. All of us can go to God with our prayers and concerns, our worries and our fears, and ask for direction, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. I don't even have time to unpack all the things it says in the New Testament about this. In Hebrews 8, it says, God said, I wrote the commandments on tablets of stone, but you couldn't keep them through the Holy Spirit. Now, I've written my commandments on the tablet of your heart, so you will know them. You'll hear a voice right behind you saying, go this way, to the right or the left. I'll guide you. And for those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, we know this is true. He speaks to us and he guides us and we have access to him anytime we want and it's the most blessed thing ever. This is why the disciples said, oh, you gotta know Jesus. This is a better deal than Moses ever even dreamed of. Wow. I do get excited about numbers. Mm. God regularly speaks to us, point B, and reveals uh, his will in four ways. Okay, but how does it work, John? Well, now look, first of all, God is God, and he can do anything he wants. He could still appear in a column of fire or a cloud if he wanted to. He could still send angels. He can still send visions and dreams. And he does send visions and dreams to people. And uh, I'm certain that there are angelic visitations. The Bible tells us many times we've entertained angels. We didn't even know it. However, there are four ways that all of us can experience God's leading through the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, according to Scripture. Here they are. First of all, God speaks to us through the Bible. If I want God to speak to me about direction, the best thing I can do is read a little bit of my Bible every day. Every time that I meet with the Lord, he will speak to me about something important. Paul wrote Timothy about this. He said, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Holy Spirit, when it says it's inspired by God, that's what it means. The Holy Spirit energizes the words of Scripture, and they jump off the page. Uh, every time, every Sunday, just about, or every week, I get an email, or I meet somebody, they go, I just started reading my Bible, and it's true. It's the craziest thing. I start reading my Bible, and it's just like, all of a sudden, I'm getting direction again. Why did I get away from reading the Bible? I go, well, the devil knows if he can get us away from reading the Scripture, he can get us tangled up in all kinds of worries and fears. Loss is a ball in high weeds. Man, if we spend time in God's word, he's going to speak to us. Secondly, God speaks to us through prayer. If we spend time in prayer, lifting up our concerns, instead of just Facebooking about something, we actually sit down and pray about something and ask God for wisdom on this, he'll speak to us. This is what's happening in Psalm 5.3. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. The whole idea there is of a conversation with God where I'm praying and I'm sitting still before the Lord after I've prayed. I'm asking God to give me peace that passes all understanding. And I'm, i got to tell you, there are so many times when I go in, uh, it just happened just yesterday again. I had a worry in my heart. I was praying about something when I started praying. By the time I finished prayer, the situation hadn't changed, but my attitude had changed completely. Can anybody else verify that it's happening in prayer? So raise your hand high. Hallelujah. A lot of hands went up. God also speaks to us through godly counsel. This is the Holy Spirit again. Holy Spirit's in Scripture. The Holy Spirit meets us in prayer. The Holy Spirit will speak to us through other believers because the Holy Spirit's in them too. Remember the tongues of fire were on all the believers? Sometimes God is going to speak to you through a brother or sister in Christ, through godly counsel. When I came, uh, it says here, let the message about Christ, excuse me, in Colossians 3.16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. 
Hopefully you're receiving counsel even here this morning. Maybe God's reminding you of something through what I say. It's why I pray that God will move me out of the way and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But it doesn't have to be me. It could be in a conversation with a friend where they encourage you and you're feeling down. Or they rebuke you and you're about to do something stupid. That's still God speaking to you. And we can thank God either way. Finally, God speaks to us through circumstances. Happened to Paul, 2 Corinthians 2.12. When I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. Opportunity will come your way. Now the question is, is this God's will or not? How do I know? Well, this is how they all work together. When we feel like a circumstance might be leading us to do something, that's when you seek godly counsel. That's when we spend time in prayer. That's when we seek to see what the scripture has to say about it. When the scripture says yes, and our godly counsel says yes, and we've got a peace about it, and the circumstances are right, that's God's will. If we think, hey, this might be a good opportunity, and then we find out in scripture, it's like, no, scripture forbids that. That's a no. Your Christian friends say, don't do it. That's a no. Well, you ought to be thinking, that's a bad idea even if the opportunity seems right. Or it might be they just need to wait. might be the right thing, just the wrong time. I mean, let me give you an illustration of this. Years ago, when my wife and I lived in Houston, a friend of mine wanted to buy a car. And it was a little SUV, and the type of SUV that he wanted to buy was, he got, was getting a great deal on it. A friend of his was selling it. He came to see me. He goes, man, I've been saving up money for a used car, and I got a great deal on this. What do you think I ought to do? Well, what he didn't realize was a couple of days before, I, or, yeah, just a couple of days before, I'd read in the Houston Chronicle an article about his exact brand of car, and it was the most, it was the car most commonly stolen in the city of Houston at the time. I mean, there were a lot of car thieves going on. There were gangs from Mexico, apparently, that came up to Houston and stole uh, cars, stripped them for parts, and then took them, sold them in Mexico on the other side of the border. There was one guy who got so angry about it, he took out billboards around the city of Houston and said, visit scenic Mexico. Your car is probably already there, okay? I mean, he was just mad. And the whole thing was, is that I told him, I said, oh man, I, I think, you know, you came to see me. I'm glad you did because I just read this article. I, I don't think God wants you to buy this car. This is, this is the most car most commonly stolen in Houston. He goes, and we prayed about it and other things. And he goes, okay, thanks. Well, he went out and went, it's just too good a deal. I got to buy it. So he went and bought it the next day. Well, that night he went on a date with his brand new car. They went in to eat at a restaurant. He came back out. There's just broken glass in the parking lot. He'd had the car six hours and it was stolen. They found it a couple days later, completely stripped. All the parts were gone. This is an MO of this, some of these gangs that were stealing that particular car. And he went through all kinds of insurance nightmares because he'd just barely gotten the car and all these things. It took him forever. And after it was all kind of, kind of tied up, he came and talked to me. He said, John, I guess that was God telling me no. And I go, mm, yeah, that would have been a no. And he goes, you're not going to tell me I told you so? I go, I'm not interested in telling you I told you so. We were trying to seek the Lord's will. When you seek counsel and God provides a circumstance that says through a magazine or through a newspaper article saying no, and I'm saying, hey, you ought to listen to this, and there's some doubt in your mind, you ought to wait at least. Why'd you rush in? And then I told him about times in my life when I'd done exactly the same thing. Because we've all done it. And that brings us to point C. God will speak to us too if, we offer, if we're willing to surrender, if we're willing to wait, if we're willing to listen. He'll speak to us all the time. The problem is he's given us direction. Many times we just don't like what we're hearing. Last verse out of Numbers 9 I'm going to read today. 
So the Israelites camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. And when they started out the journey, everything was great. Psalm 32, the Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you. I'll watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. When we're lacking direction, it's not that God doesn't know what to do. Many times it's just we're not willing to listen no matter how clear it is. And that brings us to point three. God wants what's best for us more than we do. Would you read that out loud with me, please? God wants what's best for us more than we do. When they got to the edge of the promised land, 40 years later, this is what Moses said to them in Deuteronomy 1. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He'll fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. You saw how the Lord God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as the father cares for his child. Now he's brought you to this place, but even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. You didn't even have to be scared of the dark. He illuminated the dark. He always found the best places to camp. David said he leads you beside green pastures and calm waters. God wants what's best for me more than I do. Now listen to Jesus, Matthew 11, saying the same thing to his disciples. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. A yoke is a wooden beam that lashes two animals together to pull a load. And Jesus said, you yoke in with me. You lash yourself onto me. You follow me. When I go left, you go left. When I go right, you go right. When I stop, you stop. When I go ahead, you go with me. You will find that my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You go run at your own speed, you're going to burn yourself out. Come to me if you're tired and weary and heavy laden. Follow me. Over and over again in this series, you're going to hear this all throughout. God had amazing things planned for his people. Amazing provision, amazing protection, clear guidance. And when they failed, it wasn't because the people of God wanted more than God had planned for them. It's just that they were willing to settle for less. Do you know when God's leading us, even through the valley of the shadow of death, even when God is leading us through a time where he's stretching us, even when he's pruning us, it's because he has what's best for us. Over and over again, the devil's, one of the devil's best lies is Jesus doesn't want you to do that because Jesus is a killjoy. He doesn't want you to have fun. All your friends are having fun. You're missing out. But if anything, you've you got to be here for the rest of the series because all these stories remind us how good God is, and you'll see this every week to another amazing story, but how good he is and how great he is. And it's not that people wanted more than God had for them. It's just that they were willing to settle for so much less. God will guide us. He wants us to know his will. And he wants what's best for us more than we do. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I love recounting those principles from your word because they're just as true today as they were in the days of the cloud. 
Forgive us, Lord, for running ahead of you. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you. Forgive us, Lord, for at times being stubborn and stiff-necked and unwilling to listen to counsel, even though you sent it, and we knew it was right when we heard it. Help us to follow your lead, Lord. You are humble and gentle at heart, and your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Oh, God, help us trust you. If the Lord spoke to you about something this morning while I was talking, if he moved me out of the way and the Holy Spirit spoke to you this morning through the counsel of another person, through another Christian, me, would you say, Lord, I heard what you said to me. Thank you for guiding me in something important today. Thank him now. And ask him to help you do it. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.